Welcome to the FieldLink Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Smith. On this episode, we sit down with Senior Brand Manager Mark Whalen from the Helena Products Group. Mark discusses the value of the Solvex formulation technology and how products like TapOut can improve grass control for soybean producers. Plus, Jody Lawrence joins us from Nashville to discuss the recent WASDE report from the USDA and how the upcoming presidential election in Turkey may impact global trade and commodity prices that U.S. farmers can expect for 2023. Stay tuned for this episode of FieldLink. And we're back here at FieldLink uh, here in the studio in Memphis and uh, excited to have uh, with us Senior Brand Manager Mark Whalen. Uh, Mark, welcome to FieldLink. Yeah, I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. Mark, uh, you, you've got a strong history with Helena. You've been with the organization for how long? Uh, this August 1st will be 21 years and um, have 30 years in the industry. Great. And where's home? Where, where did you grow up, Mark? I grew up in South Central Oklahoma little town called Paul's Valley, went to school at Oklahoma State, and um, uh, born on, on a small farm and, and raised around agriculture and uh, uh, couldn't get away from it. Yeah. <laughs> so after graduating from Oklahoma State, uh, tell us about your career journey. Well, uh, after I got out of school, I went to work in industry on the basic manufacturing side at that uh, time, um, back in the early 90s. Um, there was a, a number of uh, companies that have kind of been absorbed over time, but there was a company called American Cyanamid, and they were hiring a lot of people in technical services at that time. And so I went into the technical services group and um, got stationed in the Midwest in southwest Iowa, uh, lived in Nebraska there, but covered uh, covered about 16 counties there in southwest Iowa. Uh, it was all uh, corn and soybeans. Sure. Yeah, those were the glory days of uh, basic manufacturing back in the 90s and the pursuit days and some of those products. Yeah, absolutely. We had a few products, uh, the Imidazolones, Pursuit, Scepter, and Raptor that were uh, pretty big products at that time. And uh, I can't forget about Prowl, too. For sure. Prowl was a big one. Yeah, yeah. It still is in a lot of cases. It's got It's the comeback kid right now, isn't it? Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, chemistries that were... Uh, we're uh, using again quite extensively, um, and they're very valuable. It's it's amazing how things uh, uh, were once old are, are back again that are uh, that are new again, I guess, if you will. Oh, absolutely. Um, just about all the chemistries that w- have ever been developed, um, you know, they've 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 had their times, and in some cases they've gone away for a while, but amazingly, um, they seem to circle back around. And um, all the chemistries that we have today that we're utilizing in agriculture, they're all very valuable. They all have a purpose. And um, we're, you know, we're uh, fortunate to have those type of tools in the U.S. that we can utilize. Yeah, we sure are. Well, Mark, today we're going to talk about a, a very unique formulation technology called Solvex. But before we talk about Solvex, let's I think it's important for our listeners to understand what is a formulation technology from Helena and what do we consider a formulation technology? What does it take to become a formulation technology? Well, when you get right down to it, it's, it, it's really not that difficult. And what we try to do is, you know, as many, uh, as many different products, whether you're talking about, you know, pesticides or nutritionals, fertilizers, seed, um, it, it gets to be a lot for our customers to 
keep track and try to understand all the products that they utilize. And likewise, it's it's hard for our uh, salesmen to remember all the things that they have to remember because it's just a lot of information. Um, there is a, has been a lot of very good technology over the years when it comes to formulations. Certain types of products like our weak acid, auxins, um, clethodims, uh, hexazinones, all of those types of products have used petroleum-based solvents, and, and they've had their purpose. Um, they've, they've worked good uh, efficacy-wise. They've, they've always been really good. But they also bring a bit of baggage with them. Mm-hmm. And um, what we've looked to do with our unique formulation technologies is try to build uh, something different that, that will not— um, it'll make it a little bit easier to handle, to utilize, a little safer— without giving up the um, what we're really looking for, and that's overall efficacy. So formulation technologies uh, within Helena means that we take away some of the bad stuff, we put better stuff in there, things mm-hmm. that make it work better, handle better, mix better, and then uh, provide the overall performance. So we have a number of formulation systems. Uh, when you talk about weak acid, herbicides, a few other, uh, you know, herbicides that have been formulated around petroleum-based solvents. It gives us a big opportunity to improve those. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, there's there's a lot of technology out there, uh, but what we try to do at Helena through uh, our laboratory at HPG, the Helena Products Group, is come up with these formulation technologies where we can take a good product and really, quite frankly, make it better and make it simpler to use, a little safer if possible, but still maintaining that efficacy. Yeah, a- absolutely. And we've been able to, we've been able to do that over time. Uh, we have a number, I think somewhere around 11 formulation technologies. When it comes to the herbicides, we have uh, two or three, a couple that, that come to mind. Um, the first one, because it's, it's so flexible and we can we can kind of go back in time and look at some of the chemistries that we've had for years and years and years, sure. but we've been able to make them better through better formulations. Uh, we have one called Solvex yeah. formulation technology that we use, like I said, for the weak acids and other uh, active ingredients that are typically made using petroleum-based solvents. So what kind of products would fall under Solvex? You referenced Solvex. Let's dive into Solvex. What is Solvex formulation technology? Yeah, basically, Solvex is a petroleum um, solvent-based replacement technology using, without getting into a lot of specifics, but it it basically replaces uh, pretty harsh petroleum solvents um, like xylene, various distillates. Uh, There's there's a number of them. Uh, Most of all of these are petroleum-based, and it replaces it more with a seed oil technology. Okay. Uh, which uh, absolutely does not give up any of the benefits f- from uh, an efficacy standpoint, mm-hmm. but um, makes the uh, the product easier to handle, safer to use, uh, particularly for the crops that we're going to be applying to or next to, and uh, and uh, it typically uh, the overall formulations with the emulsifiers that we use in there, it makes these products very easy to handle and mix with. Okay. And so whether we're mixing with a little f- liquid fertilizer or other pesticides, 
they they go well together. And so uh, overall, it's just a superior um, formulation technology. And the the other thing that Solvex does is it, it basically there's a lot a lot of formulations that have entered ingredients that really have no value at all mm-hmm. when it comes to the efficacy of the product. They're just in there to keep the um, the active ingredient solubilized. Whereas with with Solvex, nearly everything that's in the gallon um, goes towards the overall performance of that product. So whereas a lot of products have a lot of water in it, which we just call filler, um, or they have um, other various components in there that aren't really uh, doing anything uh, to help with the efficacy, um, Solvex formulation technology is not like that. Everything in there goes or has a purpose and goes towards the overall efficacy and better handling of the product. Uh, so everything inside that uh, product has a job. And, and I think that's an important piece for growers to understand that with Solvex formulation technology, we're trying to make a safer product. We're trying to make a product that's going to mix a little easier, have a little better handling capabilities, and some flexibility to mix with other products, as you mentioned. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, Every little thing like that that we can um, can do to our products to make it easier for our end user customer to work with that product and utilize it. Um, take out all the, the the hassles that you typically have with more conventional type um, herbicides and solvent systems. Well, we like to call it a, a force multiplier. It's really okay. the reason that we we come up with our formulation technologies because. If you have one product that has Solvex built into it, if you get your hands on it, you get to use it, you understand the technology and the science behind it, it makes it easier for you to explain or it makes it easier for the customer to understand exactly what it does. And then if you have another product that is based on Solvex technology, then they automatically understand it the next time around. So. Uh, we like to call it a force multiplier. It, it helps our salesmen be able to position the products correctly, and it helps our customers understand. And once they've seen the performance of it, the next product that is built on Solvex technology, it, it, they understand it, and it'll, it, it's more valuable to them. Yeah, it, it's really almost a seal of confidence for, a, for a, a grower to understand that if there's a product with Solvex formulation technology in there, they can count that the, the scientists and the researchers at Helena have put a lot of time and energy into developing that product to make it a little easier to handle, a little safer, and, uh, you know, just a little more flexible for their farm. Yeah, absolutely. And some of these technologies, particularly Solvex, They've been around for a really long time, didn't always have a name. They've been thoroughly vetted over the years, and um, they've been in a lot of different products that uh, Helena offers, and um, they they get the the stamp of approval when it comes to longevity and performance. Um, And our folks and our our customers and our internal salespeople, uh, they value um, Solvex, they value the products that have Solvex in them, and our customers do as well. Well, Mark, um, you know, every so often we come out with new products, and so often we come out with new technologies. What's the real difference between a new product as well versus a new technology in your mind? Well, there's a there's a lot of difference. Um, 
you know, when we, we talked about it being a force multiplier. So if you have a you have a technology that fits across a whole line of products, say for instance, your auxins or your weak acid herbicides. Um, if you use a technology such as Solvex, it, it's not limited to just one product or one product group. It fits across uh, a whole segment. It can fit across a whole market, not just one market. And it really spreads the advantages and benefits across these products. And um, in the case of Solvex, it's not just herbicides. We also use the technology in insecticides as well, and it works sure. very well. So if you understand Solvex technology in one of our herbicides, then you'll understand it in our insecticide as well because it does a lot of the same things. So it kind of builds on top of each other. Once the training occurs and the experience is had in the field with our Solvex products, the next one that comes along, whether it's an insecticide or a herbicide, our customers, our salespeople understand it and they know how to. When you, when you talk about a single product, it it's, it's just limited to that market in that group. And sure. it combines the advantage to one product. Yeah. And when you have hundreds, literally hundreds of products that you're using in the marketplace, it gets very complicated to remember everything. Right. And we're not, we, we never say that uh, the things that we compete against are not good. Uh, there's a lot of good products out there. But when people try to explain what those products are, it becomes difficult, and it's really d- difficult for the customer to remember. You know, Mark, I, I like to think of uh, formulation technologies mm-hmm. a little bit like uh, uh, a lot of us have PCs, computers, It's it's, and you see that little seal down there called the Intel inside. Yeah. That's really what a formulation technology is. You can have that level of confidence that uh, we have the intelligence inside of it, just like there are multiple types of PCs out there. You know, it can be an IBM, a Linux, whatever it is. Formulation technology is the same way. It could be on one of Helena's uh, 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 herbicides. It could be on one of our insecticides. It, it can be in lots of different things, but it delivers a performance level that's consistent for that grower. Yeah, Bill, it's in- interesting that you bring that up because there, that's exactly um, that's exactly what uh, we do. Um, if you look on a lot of our cartons and packaging, it will have the insignia of uh, Solvex formulation technology or Moveo formulation technology, asset formulation technology, right on the carton or right on the box. Sure. And it is kind of the intel inside. Certainly our um, salesmen in the field and our customer start, customers start to recognize that insignia. And they think, okay, I'm get, this, this is the real deal. Uh, this is what it does. I understand it. And the, and the next product that has that same insignia on the box, there's a feeling that a comfort right. that I know that this technology is good. So you're, you know, that's, a, um, that's a good thought there because it really is kind of like the intelligence. Well, there's a lot of products out there and a lot of lookalike products out there. Uh, you know, some of these products uh, can be thrown in the same class. But there's a difference. Uh, there's a lot of generic products out there in some of these categories um, that may not, you know, may, may on a label do somewhat the same thing technically, but there's a lot of difference on the value that those products bring. And that's what Solvex separates a Helena product from some of the other products that are on the marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we compete against a lot of different products, particularly in the oxen class. Um, mm-hmm which have been around for years, but, but they're still um, 
very useful and, um, you know, we, we couldn't get along without them. But if you really look at some of those um, crop protection products that we compete against with our Solvex line of products, there's a lot of different solvents that are used um, and there's a lot of water in those. And, and right. when you put water in there, water is basically um, a carrier. It's really not adding any functionality, but there's there's alcohols, there's glycol, which we call antifreeze or glycerin. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of petroleum oils and solvents like kerosene, diesel, uh, various mineral oils and aromatics. And uh, we're able to do the same thing and we're able to solubilize the active ingredient without using all of those petroleum-based solvents or water, we're able to do it um, through our Solvex formulation technology. Well, and in, in with Solvex, some of the benefits that we see out there is uh, more consistent uh, spreading. Uh, there, there's some physical attributes that Solvex can certainly bring. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, not to mention the... Um, the good uptake inside the in, inside the, um, the tissue of the plant. Okay, um, it helps there. Um, it helps with uh, deposition, with coverage, with um, sticking onto the plant. So there's a lot of different things, um, and the the rate of activity as well. A lot of these products, weak ass products, they really do like seed oil based materials. Yep, and um, they get into the plant quickly and they work quickly. And some of the benefits of that is you don't always have to use the top end of the of the use rate. Sometimes oh. you can get by with a little little less rate because they're they're getting more into the plant faster. Um, the other thing is um, you don't have to deal with a lot of the disadvantages of conventional petroleum-based solvent systems because most of them have a a very um, a very strong odor that's very recognizable right and particularly when you're using around uh, sensitive areas mm-hmm. uh, getting close to townships or schools and things you don't want that um, that odor because it's it's very familiar during spray time and springtime right um, not having to deal with that um, most all of these petroleum based solvent systems are very flammable um, they they can if you're spraying in a cropping situation they can have injury. Um, issues, but the number one thing is, like we spoke about earlier, it's all the non-functional or, or, or the non-contributing parts in those formulations that you're just carrying and you're spraying, and it really has no purpose other than just to carry the active ingredient along. It's not doing anything in the spray mix. Yeah, and if you really break it down, as a grower, you're paying for a filler that really has no performance advantage for you as a producer. Absolutely. Um, and it, it's happened for years and it continues to happen today. Yeah. And that's where the Solvex formulation technology can fill the gap, if you will, in providing some value, uh, like you illustrated, you know, uh, increasing that uptake, uh, increasing spreading, uh, and, and, and even things like you mentioned, you, uh, the odor control. Uh, what a huge advantage, especially in sensitive areas. It, like you mentioned, if you're around a community, a town, you know, especially in this era of, 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 questions about drift and that sort of thing, it, it somewhat reduces that concern to the general public, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely, because for all intents and purposes, um, if somebody smells um, a herbicide or, or a pesticide that's put out, uh, in their mind, it's, it's basically 
Um, it's basically either been uh, sprayed on their property or mm-hmm. it's uh, volatilized over to their land. Right. And uh, that's that's not a good situation. Um, if you can have products that don't have that strong um, oxen odor, you're that much better off. Mark, let's talk a little bit about, you know, we, we, we referenced with Solvec technology, we have lots of different products that have that formulation technology in it. But what are some highlighted products, you know, broadly speaking? And then let's drill down on one that eh, growers might be looking at utilizing here this this summer. Yeah, well, we, we, we've already talked about the, the weak acid, the oxen products. And of course, we use those in a lot of burn down products. We also use a lot of oxen products like MCPA and others in our cereal grain products. So a lot of those types of products have uh, Solvex formulation technology are in our Helena products. We also have some insecticides. We have a product called Sultris that is built, uh, that's been a very, very good uh, insecticide for us. We have one that's used more in the specialty markets and forestry and um, in some uh, alfalfa and other, other crops called Velosa, which is an older chemistry called hexazinone, which in the past had been formulated with straight alcohol. Wow. We've been able to uh, formulate that using Solvex formulation technology. It's very useful, very beneficial product. But one that uh, probably off the top of my head that uh, is one of the older ones uh, that we've built with Solvex formulation technology and has been very successful uh, is a product called Tap Out which is what we call a value-added um, one-pound clethodim product, a selective grass herbicide that we use in a lot of different crops, but primarily in soybeans. does a fantastic job at a pretty low rate in taking out volunteer corn and then uh, other grass species that we need to control in a, in a crop like, um, in a leguminous crop like soybeans. So that was built with Solvex formulation technology. And what we knew early on is Clethodim, um, we knew a lot about clethodim, and it's been formulated a lot of different ways. A lot of the formulations today out there with clethodim really have no uh, adjuvant or no um, uh, surfactant or adjuvant system built into them. There's a few. Most of them are just straight goods, and then you add an adjuvant in the tank. Um, But we've noticed over time, or we noted over time, going way back many years ago, that there's certain types of um, there's certain types of uh, raw materials you might say that um, that really accentuates how clethodim works and how it gets into the plant. Okay. Um, and one of those is um, is uh, certainly uh, seed oil based type products. And over time, we we determined exactly the the ratio and the type that needs to go into tap out to get the most out of clethodim. And there's a lot of other uh, products on the market too that have gone a little different path. Okay. Um, they've built made more of a non-onic surfactant into their clethodim products, but we've always seen a big benefit in our um, seed oil-based um, emulsifier systems. Um, and the performance has been exceptional. So in a lot of cases we can get uh, with a one pound product, we can get the same type of control that you're getting out of a two pound generic product out in the marketplace. So a lot of value there just by um, using Solvex formulation technology, we can get more out of that active ingredient 
And what that means is we're not always uh, having to ply as much across the acre. Right. Um, but anyway, it's uh, it's been a huge success for it, uh, for us, and it's been one of our larger, uh, what we call our value-added products uh, from HPG and sold through Helena. And uh, it's just been a success story all the way around. Well, I, I think that's a really important, very important point. And I think tap out's the type of product that really tells a phenomenal story. Yes, it, it is a clethodum product. And there's, as you mentioned, there's a lot of clethodums out there. But tap out's a little different. It has that Solvex technology. And where we reduce some of those innards that are really, in some cases, carriers that you'll see on a lot of cheaper or lower valued uh, type of clethodums, we don't have that in tap out. Uh, we, we've packed it full of some pretty powerful stuff with Sol- uh, Solvex technology, formulation technology, to provide that value where, as you referenced, in some cases we can reduce the rate and get the same or even better efficacy in terms of weed control. But we also carry the value of having some of these other uh, benefits uh, for spreading and uptake of the chemistry. Is that correct? Absolutely. And, you know, clethodim is a, is an active ingredient that doesn't stick around a long time out in the environment. It, it tends to break down uh, fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, what you want to do is you want to get it into the plant as quickly as possible. Sure. And get it um, translocated to the point where it's going to kill the, kill the grass. Um, so anything that you can do to help that um, penetration and uh, help that product get into the plant, you're going to be that much better off. The other thing is you're, you're spraying grasses, which, you know, have a, have a tendency to have, have less um, area um, for the spray to land on. So you want something that grabs hold and, and gets inside the leaf very, very quickly. And what we've learned over time, and this is just based on our experience um, in R&D and in the field over the years, um, you can't hardly get enough of certain types of seed oil in with clethodim. It absolutely loves it. And the more you have in there, the better it works. And so what we've been able to do is take that information, uh, understand, and, and understand how to make a good product out of it, and including our Solvex technology. Uh, making a product is, as long as we um, pay attention to what weeds we're going after, what grass is it, how big is it, um, and adjust those rates, um, we've got a great performing product. That, that um, The other thing that happens during the time of the year, typically that we're spraying um, for grasses, um, it can get hot in, in some oh, areas. Point, and yeah. um, sometimes you get areas where the where the weeds, particularly the grasses, just kind of shut down for a while. And they can be difficult to control, especially if they get a little bit of size on them. But we've benefited over the years from having uh, tap out with, um, with Solvex formulation technology because it, it tends to do a better job in those situations. Um, so um, we've seen that over the years, and it, it's, been a, it's been a big positive for our organization to be able to count on herbicide like tap out. Wow, definitely a lot of benefits with product like Tapout, utilizing that formulation technology, Solvex, more value really for the grower at the farm gate, at the turn row uh, versus, you know, a, another generic that they may be able to, you know, purchase out there. Certainly they all work, but at the end of the day, it's all about value and the value that Solvex technology brings to the grower. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. And we're getting into that time of the year right now that uh, folks are going to be thinking about grass control, um, particularly in their soybeans and other crops. And um, th- this is definitely a, a product that everybody needs to take a look at, close look at, and utilize because uh, in most cases, if you use if you use this product, you're not going to go back to something else. It's uh, and we've got a great track record. Yeah, history means a lot, and uh, Tapout has a strong history, very positive history, and we encourage growers to take a look at Tapout this uh, this summer, this growing season, and plant twenty three, uh, and utilizing that uh, Solvex formulation technology. Absolutely. Mark, I want to thank you for joining us here on this episode of FieldLink. Appreciate your insight on Solvix formulation technology and learn a little bit more about TapOut. Absolutely, Bill. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me on. And welcome back to FieldLink. I'm your host, Bill Smith. And joining us on this episode is Jody Lawrence from Nashville, from the Strategic Trading Advisors Group. Jody, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you, Bill. It's great to be back. Awful lot to talk about as we get into the middle of May and a lot of planting already been accomplished in the U.S. and a lot of corn and beans already out of the ground. So May, especially middle of May, right on the 15th, always an exciting time in agriculture. Yeah, a lot's happening right now. A lot of corn and soybeans, uh, cotton getting put in the ground across the nation. Uh, things are moving. And recently, Jody, the USDA came out last Friday uh, with their latest WASDE report. Boy, these grain inventories, where are they sitting at right now? And how is that impacting uh, the grain markets today? This is really the, the wild card and everything that we're talking about right now when anybody that was watching the markets for about a week 10 days going into the report saw the downward trend everyone was betting as the u.s crop was starting to really get put in the ground quickly in uh, late april and early may that the usda had no reason to back off their uh their record trend line yield estimates and you know you look at a couple of these numbers uh it is uh you know 181 and a half uh for corn and uh, 52 bushels per acre for beans and uh, when you look at that it's the first trend line for corn ever over 180 and it didn't just barely get there it went over by a bushel and a half to 181 and uh you know last year's ending average ended up being 173 last year's trend line in this report was 178.5 so they didn't mess around and just tick it up a half a bushel or a bushel they went a full three bushel increase and that was the uh, the trend line that they put out at the outlook conference and in february so they held to it because they had no real challenges to uh, in the weather and the planning progress to do it but a three bushel per acre jump is uh, just three bushels an acre on 90 million acres is that magic number we always talk about about 250 million bushels of corn and that's worth a quarter uh to the market and uh you know a 181 and then the planted acres uh look like they're going to be able even with the, some 
uh, wet wetness problems, uh, cold wet problems in North Dakota, northern Minnesota. Corn planted still going to be over 92 million acres, and you have 92 million acres and a record yield. Uh, there's nowhere to, for prices to go except lower until Mother Nature intervenes. And on the bean yield at 52, we have seen. Uh, you know, we've seen that number approached a couple times. It was, it's just a hair higher. I think last year was 51.8. Uh, last year's, in the May report, last year's final yield was 49.5. So they are uh, definitely being optimistic about yield and acreage and which they will, you know, Mother Nature will have the biggest influence on and the next Big, big report will be the uh, June stocks report that updates acreage, stocks, any, uh, probably get close to some final numbers on Brazil and Argentina. And that's a, a whole nother podcast we could talk about just about Brazil and Argentina that came out. Right. Just so many things in, uh, in, in this May report, but you have bigger acres and bigger yields for both corn and beans. Cotton uh, acres were cut. And cotton certainly has had, uh, gosh, almost a, a $4 rally in December. Maybe not $4, let me check. Uh, but it's certainly had a nice rally since the report. Uh, yeah, from about 79 to about 82. So, uh, you know, three, three and a half dollars. Uh, corn is uh, some of the concern. Uh, it, you know, cotton is right back where it has been for December on new crop between 80 and 84 cents. And uh, the, the biggest issue, the most bullish issue in the entire report was about the hard uh, wheat crop. And in the southern plains, that was decimated with the drought and just can't seem to get out of it. And some you know, back and forth here that with lower cotton acres, is some of that going to go uh, into maybe a summer variety of wheat if they get some rain or potentially corn? Right. So uh, Texas Panhandle will play uh, in a in a bit in a bigger way than normal on deciding corn and potentially wheat final acres because of the cotton. It's uh, it, yeah, they're, they're, the, the price is not competitive where anybody wants to plant it. Uh, and, the, the, you know, people are backing up on their acreage because of it. Yeah, we're starting to see that uh, certainly uh, play out where cotton acres are sliding slide a little bit. But uh, in some markets, too, Jody, I've, uh, we've got some reports that uh, even rice is, uh, is, is taken off. And we're going to see some increased rice acres uh, in, throughout Arkansas and the Delta, uh, Louisiana, and that, that particular market this year as well. I did notice that there, the rice price has held up a little bit better than corn because usually there's a very tight relationship in price between the two. But uh, it, the farmers are smart. Farmers can get all these quotes, and they realize that if they have a choice between planting rice or planting corn, uh, or beans, just however their rotation works out, that they're going to take the one that makes them the most money whenever possible. And, uh, I, you know, we're moving into that section of agriculture now because uh, you talk about what it's going to cost this year, acre corn, uh, you know, $1,100 and beans over 600 uh, when you're talking about December corn at 515 and November beans at 1230. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it, th th those are on the wrong side of profitability 
when you're just looking at base numbers. So that's definitely a concern uh, going into the growing season. Definitely a unique report, you know, somewhat bearish, I guess, uh, as we look at that WASDE report. And clearly, uh, weather is going to determine the outcome uh, at the end of the day based on, you know, what we're picking up from that report and really the next several weeks in terms of planning, getting finalized, and then obviously how pollination goes with Mother Nature and so forth. So weather is going to be a big play in this area. Yeah, and and one thing about the report, to put a bow on that, the USDA uh, historically sticks with their numbers until South American harvest is complete or is very stubborn to move them much. Uh, They did make a, a kind of a surprise move. They raised Brazil's corn crop five million metric tons, which is roughly 200 million bushels higher than in the April report, although the uh, CONAB, the USDA's equivalent, does not have the uh, crop being quite that big. So Brazil's Brazil's corn crop is actually rated better and rated higher by the USDA than it is by Brazil's government. Their bean crop came in about as expected, but it is a record, uh, which is going to be a problem uh, because bigger crops they grow, the more export competition it gives the U.S. They did not cut Argentina's corn loss as much as expected. They kept it even with April, even though Argentina is 40 percent done with their crop and uh, their their yield could potentially on corn be another 200 million bushels lower than what the USDA is reporting. Certainly harvest results are predicting that, and beans could be up to 250 million bushels less. USDA kept both of those the same for Argentina's corn and beans, uh, which is incredibly frustrating because nobody believes the US, it, nobody agrees with the USDA and that assessment of that crop, and when you're this, when you're far enough into harvest that, that it's you, you just those are the these are the times these are the type of reports and the columns that you look at that just really make you scratch your head and wonder what the USDA is thinking that they're smarter than what the private paid analysts and what that country's own government who has a bigger vested interest in getting it right than the USDA what the USDA is thinking sometimes. Yeah, it's a uh, time will tell and to see how that all plays out. Hey, Jody, let's transition a little bit to wheat, uh, especially around the hard winter wheat. Uh, boy, we're seeing some activity there. What's what's happening in the wheat market? The the biggest thing that you see, uh, and I'll talk about the report on the wheat side for a second, is that you have got the hard red winter wheat crop uh, basically known as the Kansas City wheat crop, 17 million bushels smaller than last year and 77 million bushels below what the average trade guess was for the report. So we're barely in the U.S. going to produce over 500 million bushels of hard red wheat, which our normal number uh, historically has been in excess of 600 million bushels or even higher at several different times. And when you add into that, if you've been watching the weather a little bit, you know you've got record heat in the Pacific Northwest of the U.S. You have prairie and grass fires in the Canadian plains, and they are still stuck in the back half of their La Nina, El Nino transition drought that got their canola, oat, and 
wheat crop hit so hard last year. So uh, when you throw in U.S. loss in the Southern Plains, Canadian loss, you start thinking about what happens when now, because it looks inevitable that the export corridor is going to be shut down. And we know that Ukraine's crop is going to be compromised. It's just a matter of when those shortages start to get priced in the market, how you put all these pieces together, because we're at a much tighter situation and it's in wheat. It starts with the hard wheat and works itself backwards uh, to uh, all classifications of wheat that the, you know, the world people food of wheat is now the tightest stocks that we have seen in uh, in years, if not decades. So that really is a, you know, you you hate it because wheat is the major sustenance for a lot of the food-deprived, food-short countries in Africa, uh, the poorest nations of the world. Uh, but, you know, wheat strength is going to be a benefit to corn. And, and you know, at some capacity, it has to be because uh, nobody, what's going to happen, all that feed wheat that potentially could have been fed is going to be too expensive to go to an animal. And that will pick up some corn demand, hopefully. Yeah, definitely a lot of movement in the wheat and certainly be impacted by a lot of global activity, uh, specifically when we look around the world, uh, over back in Russia and Ukraine, you know, big, two of the, the world's largest producers of wheat. And, and Jody, a lot of activity happening over in those markets right now. What's the latest with Ukraine and Russia and some of the agreements that they're working around? Well, May 18th, which we're uh, recording this on the 15th, uh, so this Thursday, May 18th, is the official deadline for extending the uh, grain corridor deal. And the moving parts that are going on now is Russia has been against this, at least publicly, much like they were going into the previous extensions where they agreed to extend. But this one has a couple different wrinkles to it and that they already uh, started over the course of the last couple of weeks slowing down inspections of ships, cutting them off entirely for a couple days so there were less ships available to get in and get back out in the time frame that they could run them. Uh, so that affects insurance on carriers, uh, safety of crews, and all the things you think about it. You know, if you owned a, uh, you know, a, a, a billion dollars worth of ships, you certainly wouldn't want to be sending them into har harm's way because the kind of military perspective on this is that Russia is going to mine all, uh, all of Ukraine's ports if the grain deal ends simply to hem in their navy and be able to, you know, uh, just shell them at will uh, if, if that's a strategy that they choose. But they feel like the mining of the uh, Black Sea ports around the Ukraine are, is certainly going to be a part if the grain deal falls apart. And the one thing that I can safely say uh, we have never spoken about and probably will never speak about uh, again, except 2023, is the Turkish presidential election and the fact that it may have a major impact on what the cost of wheat is, because the current Turkish President Erdogan is running against basically his polar opposite and what their two parties think about the direction of the country. One of them, the uh, uh, contender who uh, uh, the 
the opposition is much more democratic, wants to bring back, you know, uh, voted representatives and not parliament's the wrong word, but certainly an elected body, much more in a democratic light, while uh, Erdogan wants to stay his course and basically be uh, somewhere uh, closer to being autocratic uh, rather than uh, being a democracy. And if the opposition candidate wins, and I would say his name, but I would butcher it, so we'll just go with opposition candidate for now, uh, they are having the basically winner-take-all uh, election. It, it's it's coming up, and that will drastically change it. And what happens in this period of time in the next week to 10 days before that election is final is there will be no more negotiations that Turkey hosts or tries to bring in NATO, the UN and Russia as an independent third party because he's fighting for his political life and he's not going to worry about that. And so we can almost assure, assuredly sit here and say that the export corridor will be closed until we know what's going on with that election. And when we get to that election, if the opposition candidate wins, that will add an entirely different wrinkle into how this moves forward with Russia. And the thing that we know simply by looking at the clock is you have winter wheat harvest actively about to start in Russia and in Ukraine. And if the export corridor is shut down, you throw a huge wrench into the logistics of getting out the world's number one and number two exporters of wheat uh, right when they need the capacity to be shipping it out. May 28th. Okay. Is that election? And I think it's really important for listeners to know that, you know, Turkey has long, long been a, a U.S. ally, a member of NATO, but in most recent years has kind of slidden back a little bit and become a little bit more, I, I guess, friendly with uh, the opposition, if you will, i.e. Russia in this case. And boy, you're 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 right, Jody. If if that election goes one way or another, uh, that's really going to tilt the scale on the corridor uh, of shipping wheat, and that could be an absolute game changer and beyond uh, beyond this wheat deal too. And absolutely, because it would change the entire power dynamic uh, in the Black Sea area that Russia would become us against the world if Turkey were to shift more resolutely to being a a bigger ally of the Ukraine uh, and supporter of them in the war and NATO becoming a stronger force in that area. And obviously the U.S. and the rest of the uh, free democratic world would love to see the opposition candidate win. So I can't imagine uh, being involved in that political system. I keep looking on my cable box for whatever the Fox uh, affiliate is that covers election coverage in Turkey, but I haven't found it yet. But I, you, I imagine you may the next not. T- <laughs> yeah, it may be hard. But the, uh, yeah, the next, uh, you know, 28, so it's two weeks from yesterday. Uh, gosh, by the, and then the craziest part of that is uh, that all the markets uh, in the U.S., will be closed on the 29th for Memorial Day holiday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's some perfect timing coming ahead here, uh, for sure. Okay, Jody, let's uh, transition just a little bit. Um, 
real quickly here as we kind of wrap things up, planning progress. Uh, you know, here we are as of last week, that uh, planning progress, I know in Iowa was at 70% corn, 29% soybeans, but the report just recently come out. Have we got any more updates uh, where we're at across the nation as far as planting progress? Iowa is now 86% planted, up 16 from last week. And when you look at the entire U.S., the big 18 states, 65% planted, up 16% from from uh, last week in corn. Uh, 30% of it is emerged, which is 5% ahead of normal. Beans planted, you're at 49%, so you're just a couple acres uh, below halfway done. And that was up. Fourteen uh, percent on the week, so a really big week when you start talking about getting, you know, a sixth of the crop of both corn and beans planted across the corn belt. And the thing that you notice about all of the or both of these is that uh, they both of them are well ahead of average five-year pace for getting in the ground. And when you look at the emergence, uh, beans are almost double. And uh, everybody knows how to do the math if. You get uh, half your crop planted uh, by the 15th of May. Uh, statistically, the 180, you know, the 181.5 yield that uh, USDA is using on trend line, uh, you know, becomes uh, more in play. Obviously, June, July, August weather are huge factors in that. But you, the crop's off to as good a start as we've probably seen in the last seven or eight years. Yeah, definitely a great start to plant 23. Uh, we're continuing to see great progress across most of the nation. There's certainly pockets here and there, but uh, planting reports coming back very, very positive across most of the U.S. here. And cotton is at 35% planted and it's normal at 36. So it's pretty much right on schedule. And I think you have a lot you know, looking at a couple of these numbers, you have several really, really dry states that are behind, probably just hoping and praying for some rain to get some seed in the ground, and they're intentionally moving slow. It's not because it's too wet anywhere where they're planting cotton. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know some recent rains out in western Kansas and the panhandle of Texas and Oklahoma certainly going to change the game a little bit for growers in those markets. It's been pretty dry, but some of these recent rains here uh, could change the game a little bit for them. And based on some long-term forecasts, uh, things look pretty decent uh, from a weather perspective. So it might uh, the USDA might come out looking pretty good here with uh, some of these high-end predictions. But uh, time will tell, won't it, Jody? Yeah, and it and it's difficult because it, if you start at uh, a really high number. Uh, you can adjust it three bushels and it would seem like something's going wrong, but 178 would still be a record crop. Yep. Yep. So it's, you know, I get, it becomes a matter of perception right now. Uh, but, uh, yeah, every, every farmer I speak to and certainly everybody on Helena's team of agronomists and, uh, Greg, Dr. Greg Willoughby and I have this conversation a lot. He said, you give me perfect weather, and we're cl a lot closer than you think to a 200 bushel national yield. And, you know, uh, can, that would be awesome for the advancement of American agriculture, uh, but it would work to be a huge detriment to price and somewhere we got to meet in the middle. That's great. 
Jody, I want to thank you for joining us here on this episode of Field Lake. Thank you, Bill. Everybody be careful on the remaining planting. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Field Lake. Be sure to visit with your Helena representative about Solvex formulation technology from Helena to learn more about the value that it brings to growers like you in your region. Plus, don't forget to subscribe to the Field Link Podcast so you don't miss out on the latest episode of the Field Link Podcast.